we read in Romans, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. This is true for Jew and Gentile. That means all people need to be made right with God. The consequences of the offense of Adam runs through the blood of all people. The salvation of all people runs through the veins of the servant of God, Jesus Christ. The best news ever today is that the servant of the Most High God was prophesied over 2,700 years ago that he would suffer and die, that by his precious blood, Jew and Gentile will be justified, made righteous, be brought back into an intimate relationship with God and have our spirits restored into its original design for our spirits to be regenerated, which is salvation. Jesus came to serve justice and justice has been served. Hello and welcome to the Love Key Church podcast where we share our church's message of the week. My name is Heinz Winkler and together with my wife, children and our leadership team, we host Love Key Church here in Somerset West, online and on this podcast. It is our mission to help you to encounter God, align with His purposes, reign in life and help others to do the same. We trust that you will find this message empowering, encouraging, and inspiring. Please share it with your friends and family and write a review for us. And a huge thank you goes out to those who have already done so. May you be thoroughly blessed as you listen to this message. We are busy with a series called The Best News Ever because Jesus coming is the best news ever. And what we've seen and what God has shown me is that He's come in different roles and we are kind of doing a deep dive on some of these roles that Jesus has and was prophesied about Him. And so today's message, last week we spoke about the King is coming, which was the best news ever. And today we speak about the servant is coming. And you'll notice on the picture there, it says servant, and at the back there's those scales. And I want you to remember that picture because God is going to help us understand that Jesus, as his servant, came to bring the justice of God. All right? So keep that in mind. Quick recap. Our series focuses on the Messianic prophecies in Isaiah how the prophet shared the best news ever with the people of his time 700 years before Jesus' birth. We saw that Jesus is king, a ruler, one who reigns, and we saw that his rule consists of what we would call the three branches of government, executive, legislative, and judiciary. And I'm adding one to the series that I'll talk about next week called Social Justice. We see these four branches from the Messianic prophecies in Isaiah. Last week, we started this three-week series with a message entitled, The King is Coming, focusing on the executive branch of Jesus' government, Him as King. And Holy Spirit showed us some amazing and powerful truths about Jesus' kingdom and how the church plays a vital role in being the gateway between the kingdom of heaven and this realm. If you missed it, Please go and listen to it. Um, and we saw how that unsaved people are among the dead inside the gates of Hades, but that those gates will never prevail against the church as we confidently and boldly and relentlessly 
splendor hell and populate heaven, as Reinhard Bonnke so famously said. This is truly the best news ever as we realize we get to be a part of what Jesus is doing in the earth through the church for his kingdom. It is the best news ever. And we get to be a part of it. All right, so today's message is called The Servant is Coming. And we're going to look at the first of four prophecies in Isaiah. I keep saying Isaiah and then Isaiah. I, re- I recognize. I don't know which is correct. I'll just go with Isaiah. It focuses on Jesus as the servant of the Lord. So that we're going to look at a passage today where it's the first of four Prophecies about Jesus in the role as servant. And it's very important to to know that. I'm trusting Holy Spirit to help me guide us to see this important and significant link between Jesus as servant and His justice, justice, righteousness, and judgment. And I believe that by the end of the message, we'll all be blown away by the true biblical meaning of this and see how we can apply it to our own lives as we are a life-giving church. Cool. So let me ask you first, how many of you have ever been a waiter before? Waiters? Who is currently a waiter? Okay. So how many of you that were waiters before really enjoyed it and made a lot of money? All right. (laughs) Well done. Who made money but didn't enjoy it? Oh, that's... (laughs) You could imagine doing other things with your life, right? Yeah. Yeah. How many of you were lousy waiters? That would be me. I'm in that category. I was a really bad waiter. (laughs) I forgot things. Uh, Someone actually threw an empty can at me the one day because my service was that bad. (laughs) So I was was working at Divainais in Stellenbosch. And um, I was a runner. I was still training. And one person sat inside the restaurant. Everyone else was outside. And I... One of the waiters was busy and just had me seat this person inside and said, they will take care of him. It wasn't my job. I was just supposed to clean tables. The next moment, I see a Sprite can coming in front of my face. And I look back. This guy is angry like no one has been helping him. Apparently, they just helped him with a Sprite can. But other than that, he hasn't received any help. And then I said, but I was not the waiter on that table. And I got fired. It was really bad. It was really embarrassing. I was not a great waiter. But you will know something about serving, right? Um, I do have an interesting question, very, very on the side. If, if we go to a restaurant as a, as a, yes? I'm a waiter for Jesus. You're a waiter for Jesus, Moi Jamil. Well done. I like that. <laughs> so if we, I have a weird question. If we go to a restaurant as a customer and we keep waiting for the waiter that brings food, aren't we the waiters? Anyway, how many of you know that you have the gift of serving? It's one of the spiritual gifts or it's just part of your personality and your temperament. You just love serving others. All right. How many of you are on the other side of that spectrum? You really struggle (laughs) to serve others like, okay. To truly serve others, you need a certain level of conviction to do so, which will lead to a willingness to humble yourself in order to sacrificially do what is necessary to serve. Would you agree? Some serve to gain favor or goodwill, or they're just sucking up to someone or have a self-serving agenda that is parading 
as a selfless act. I'm not talking about that kind of serving, all right? Let us distinguish <laughs> that from true serving. What is the point of serving? There's a reason for the service that you are giving, right? The point of service as a waiter is that you can give people something to eat, drink, and they can have a good time and socialize. On the back end, it is also so that the restaurant can make a profit, and that serves others who are employed by the restaurant. And then we can talk about the supply chain and everyone that's involved. There's a lot of people being served by the same thing. But in short, the point of serving is to get something done that someone else is not willing to do or unable to do. Do you agree? The point of serving is to get something done that someone else is not willing or unable to do. So many people go to a restaurant because they don't want to cook and clean. They are unwilling. <laughs> Others cannot do certain things for themselves and they need someone to physically help them do those things. And in many cases, those are very qualified, highly trained people. Then you get instances where someone did something wrong or illegal and there was some kind of retribution. There was justice and then someone might say serves them right interesting choice of words my wife often says blindersambok here you may think of the biblical saying you will reap what you sow and it's very interesting to say to to notice that when we say this we also say they deserved it they deserved it Actions have consequences, and don't we know it? How many of you have realized, oh no, <laughs> what I just did has a knock-on effect in my life that I didn't really want. Now, with all of this in mind, let us read from the Holy Word of God. I have so much to share with you. There's a chance that I might have to leave some of it for next week, but I'm going to try my best to share this with you as best I can. So, but I need you to focus and zone in. Are you ready? All right. Before I read the Word of God, I need to establish something. When I decide that I will follow Jesus and I call myself a Christian, I say that I believe the Word of God is the Word of God. And I say that I will submit to what the Word of God teaches. Amen? So what I want you to know, especially if you are new here, this might be a radical idea that we read the word and we believe it and we apply it. I say that a little sarcastically, but in some places this doesn't happen. But I want you to choose today to, to know that what is about to happen according to the word, what is about to happen is that we are going to hear the word of God, which is a spiritual seed that is going to be sown. And whether it lands on good soil in your heart, your spirit being, and whether it lands on something else where it won't grow is up to the hearer. And then also, Jesus says, he delights in those who doesn't just hear the word, but does the word. So, are we in agreement? That is the point of reading the word today. All right. We're going to start in the beginning 
because it's a very good place to start. Genesis 1 from verse 26. Then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth, subdue it, have dominion over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, over every living thing that moves on the earth. Let's skip to Genesis 2 verse 15. Then the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to tend and keep it. And the Lord commanded the man saying, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but... Of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. The, the two most contested books in the Bible is the first and the last. Why do we think that? It's because if that can be disproven, then everything else can be disproven. Today, I want to show you this mighty, big plan of God with us. Man is the crown of creation, we read in the Word, and set apart from all other animals for this reason. He was created in the image and likeness of the almighty triune God. Male and female. Punt, strip. I really wanted to go into that today, but I'm going to let it slide because that's not really our focus. After creating man, God put him in the garden and gave him one commandment. It is called a commandment and it has the same wording as the Ten Commandments. You shall not. Did you notice that? Do not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Can you see that God is, in this moment, the legislature? He is making a law. All right? He writes the law. He puts it in place. One commandment. Everything is perfect. The conditions for man are ideal. There's no sin in the world, no hurt, no shame, no guilt, they are intimately close with God. Everything is great. But enter the serpent who begins by sowing doubt. The first temptation is the way he still tempts you today. Did God really say? And then when she responds, he directly opposes what God says. He says, no, you won't surely die. Doubt opens the door to lies that can change the way we see ourselves. Because if we change the way we see God, we will, see the way, we will change the way we see ourselves. When the Bible says, when the woman saw it was good to look and to eat, she ate it and gave it to the man who also ate. 
Then their eyes were opened. When you read that in, 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 uh, in, in the sequence of events, there was a moment where the man had a choice. Will I take the fruit that the woman is passing on to me? The scales had not fallen off. They had not yet gone to the dark side. The moment the man ate as well, the head of the home, the head of the marriage, and there was unity in sin, everything changed. It says their eyes were opened and they knew they were naked and they immediately had shame, guilt, and fear. And that is the fruit of disobedience. Now sin has entered the world that God had created. There was just one command, but it was broken by one sin, and it changed everything. Now the executive role of God kicks in, and He pursues them in the garden. Where are you? They're hiding like a criminal. Who has contravened the law. And God is pursuing them. And then when he gets to them and they have a conversation, God steps into the role of judiciary and he judges them according to the law that he put in place. And there are consequences to their actions. And because he is God and because he has these roles, it is right and it is fair what he did. They were stripped of their intimacy with God. They lost their place in their dominion. And they were cursed with hard labor and child labor. They had children. And the one was jealous and murdered the other. The first ever family on earth was dysfunctional. And it didn't get better after that. In fact, it got way worse. That moment before it happened, things were right. They were good. God created everything. He said it was good. It was right. It was righteous. Things were perfect. Things were just the way God wanted them. Things were the way they were supposed to be. But disobedience and sin caused that to change. No longer was man right with God, but unrighteous. No longer was man intimately connected to his creator. There was now a chasm, a divide, a disconnect, because a holy God cannot have intimacy with sin, because it is unholy. The crown of creation that looks like God was broken. It had a malfunction. It was like AI going outside of its programming protocols and doing what it wants to do. It abused itself. Man abused himself by not sticking to the healthy boundaries given by his maker. Because you, when you, the abuse is when you use something for something it was not meant for. That is abuse. Abnormal use is abuse. So if I was made for this, but I do this, I'm abusing myself. Now, this situation exists and something needs to be done. 
But people are either unwilling or unable to do what is necessary. A solution is needed. Who will serve to get this done? Who can serve God and man? Who can reconcile and redeem? Because an injustice has been done and justice needs to be served. Unrighteousness needs to be set right. Now, let's read Isaiah 42 from verse 1. Behold, my servant whom I uphold, my servant whom I uphold, my elect one in whom my soul delights, I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the Gentiles. He will not cry out, nor raise his voice, nor cause his voice to be heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break, and smoking flax he will not quench. He will bring forth justice for truth. He will not fail, nor be discouraged, till he has established just, justice in the earth. And the coastlands will wait for his law. Thus says God the Lord who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread forth the earth and that which comes from it, who gives breath to the people on it and spirit to those who walk on it. Did you know that God gives breath to the people on this earth and spirit to those who walk on it? It comes from him. Your very breath, your very movement is in his hands. This God says, I, the Lord, have called you, his servant, Jesus, in righteousness and will Hold your hand. What do you do when you hold someone's hand? You lead them. I will keep you and give you as a covenant to the people, as a light to the Gentiles, to open blind eyes, to bring out prisoners from the prison, those who sit in darkness from the prison house. I am the Lord, that is my name and my glory I will not give to another nor my praise to carved images. Behold, the former things have come to pass and new things I declare. Before they spring forth, I will tell you of them. How powerful is this? Now, I want you to see how this prophecy of the servant who is to serve justice not just for the Jews, but also for the Gentiles, which is great news, the best news ever for us who are not Jewish. Is there someone here from proper Jewish descent in the house? All right, so you are a Gentile. Yes, you're a Gentile. Thank God he sent his servant for the Gentiles as well. Amen. Now see what happens. We're going to skip now 700 years odd forward to Matthew 12. And we're going to see what happens here. Jesus had just healed a man with a crippled hand on the Sabbath. And he was being persecuted for it by the religious Pharisee, Pharisee leaders. And he left the synagogue and went out and he healed more people. But when Jesus knew it, he withdrew from there and a great multitude followed him. And he healed them all. <laughs> Not some, all. But listen to this. 
Yet he warned them not to make him known. What? Sounds weird, right? Keep reading. That it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, Behold, my servant, whom I have chosen, my beloved, in whom my soul is well pleased, I will put my spirit upon him, and he will declare justice to the Gentiles. He will not quarrel or cry, nor will anyone hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break, a smoking flax he will not quench, till he sends forth justice to victory, and his name, and in his name, Gentiles will trust. How is the Isaiah messianic prophecy of Jesus as a servant fulfilled in that moment? The Bible says, this is now fulfilled just after Jesus says, don't make me known. Who was he healing? He was healing Jewish people. He kept saying, I came to seek and save the lost from the house of Israel. Jesus' focus in the time span of him alive on earth and the three years of his ministry was the Jew first. So he was saying to them, don't make known now. Because there's something else coming for the Gentiles, which can only kick in when? After he's been bruised as a reed. After he has been tortured. Are you following? All right. Now, we're going to get into some heavy reading of Romans. Because Paul helps us to understand the things that I'm trying to lay out for you. From the beginning, what happened? What caused the problem? How the problem needs to be served? And how it all comes together. So this is like an in-depth Bible study. Are you with me? All right. Romans 1 from verse 16. I love this first line. I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes. For the Jew first and also for the Greek. Other translations say Gentile. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. That is, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. <laughs> uh, we're in that time, times a million. People in power are suppressing the truth in unrighteousness. Because what, we may, what may be known of God is manifest in them. For God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, His invisible attributes are clearly seen. Being understood by the things that are made. Everything that was created understands there's a God. That's what He's saying. Being understood by the things that are made. Even His eternal power and Godhead so that they are without excuse. Because although they knew God, they did not glorify God. You can believe there's a God. But if you don't glorify Him, you are not a son. You are not a child of Him. 
nor were they thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man and birds and four-footed animals and creeping things, which means they started to worship things that they created. Therefore God also gave them up to uncleanness in the lusts of their heart to dishonor their bodies among themselves who exchanged the truth of God for the lie. They exchanged the truth of God for the lie. That's the original doubt and and lie from Satan to Adam and Eve. Did God really say? No, he didn't say. They exchanged the truth of God for the lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. Let's jump to Romans 2 verse 5. But in accordance with your hardness and your impenitent heart, you are treasuring up for yourself wrath on the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God who will render to each one according to his deeds eternal life. On the one hand, to those who by patient continuance in doing good seek for glory, honor, and immortality. But to those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, indignation, and wrath, tribulation, and anguish on every soul of man who does evil, of the Jew first, and and also the Greek. But glory, honor, and peace to Everyone who works what is good to the Jew first and also to the Greek, for there is no partiality with God. Are you still with me? All right. We jump to Romans 3. I wanted to read the first five chapters of Romans to you because Paul lays it out so well, but we don't have time for that. I wish we did though. So I'm I'm trying to take highlighted portions to give you the, how the things connect. Romans 3 from verse 21. But now, everybody say, but now. (laughs) The righteousness of God apart from the law is being revealed, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ to all and on all who believe. Are you someone who believes? All right. For there's no difference. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Of God, everyone needs Jesus. Being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that's in Christ Jesus. Hear the word justified. Hear the word freely. Grace and redemption. Did you notice those words? It's very important. Whom God said forth. God said Jesus who did this forth as a propitiation by His blood through faith to demonstrate His righteousness. Because in His forbearance, God had passed over the sin that were previously committed to demonstrate at the present time His righteousness that He might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Romans 5, verse 17. For if by one man's offense, Adam, death reigned through the one, much more those who receive abundance of 
grace and of the gift of righteousness will, what do we say in, in our church? Reign in life through the one Jesus Christ. <laughs> Therefore, as the one man's offense, judgment came to all men. Because Adam sinned, we are all under the sinful nature, resulting in condemnation. Even so, through one man's righteous act, the free gift came to all men, resulting in, resulting in, of life. For as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, so also by one man's obedience many will be made righteous. Your Jesus had a mission and a focus with his earthly ministry. The Israelites, the Jews, that special people group chosen by God. A small nation, but a special nation. It's recorded in Matthew 15 as saying to a Canaanite woman that, came for the, that he came for the lost sheep of Israel. She was asking that her daughter be healed. And he said, I'm not here for you. Sure, Jesus, that's harsh. He was a man on a mission. She came to him, said, please heal my daughter. He said, it's not for now. She kept asking. And he said, he can't give what he's brought for them, for her. She's, and he basically called her a dog, which is rough. Like, Oof, Jesus, that's not good for PR. She said, I will even take the scraps like dogs from the table for, for who you came. And then he said, because of your faith, it will be done. Her faith crossed over <laughs> God's initial mission, Jesus' initial mission on this earth. We see the same thing with the centurion who said, I see you're a commander of men. You can just say it will be so and my boy will be healed. And Jesus said, I have not seen faith like this in all of Israel. Okay? It's interesting to note that. But know that Jesus was on a mission. And then we keep seeing Paul talking about to the Jew first, then to the Gentile. We see a clear connection between Isaiah 42 and Matthew 12 when Jesus instructs them not to make him known. His instruction to not make him known for the miracles, healings he was doing is a fulfillment of his prophecy. And Isaiah's prophecy speaks to the servant who will bring justice to the Gentiles, all peoples who are not Jewish. Upon further study, it becomes clear that it's about timing. It's all about timing. Before Jesus' death and resurrection, his mission was the lost sheep of Israel. They were getting a special first chance to meet the Messiah. The Messiah that's been prophesied to them for hundreds of years. They were getting a first opportunity. But they didn't recognize him. Some did. But many didn't. But we know that when he was brutally tortured and interrogated, he was quiet. He didn't fight back. He didn't argue. He didn't make a sound. And that's the exact wording of Isaiah 42. It refers to his crucifixion and what followed. So these, they refer to that. It was through his death, 
burial and resurrection that he was able to bring justice for the offense of the first Adam. Jesus is the second Adam. His role to justify, to redeem, and to reconcile people with God, to make them righteous. This is how he came to serve. Remember Jesus said, I did not come to be served, but to serve. He is the ultimate servant leader. Now, let's talk about this whole idea that I, why, and, and why I read Genesis 1 to you first. The original design, the original plan that God had for mankind was to be in the image and likeness of God. As I grew up and as I became saved and as I've moved through different churches and heard many teachings, there was a prevalent narrative that I started to think this is what it is, is that we are physically, as these bodies, made in the image and likeness of God. How many of you know that 8 billion people look a little different from each other? And, and sometimes you look in the mirror and you think, God can't look like this. Especially if you have low self-esteem. Now, I want to show you something. It says that God created man in his image and likeness, male and female. Then in the next chapter we read, he formed man from the dust and he breathed life into him. When we read Jeremiah 1, we see that God says, before I formed you, I knew you. Ephesians 1 says that before the foundations of the earth, we were chosen and called. How is that possible? It's because I believe that when we look at the Bible, we can all agree that God is what? Spirit. God is spirit. He is God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. They are one, but they are three. But they are spirit. You agree? All right. So when it says that we were created in the image and likeness of our God, it is speaking of our spirit being, being in the image and likeness of God. Amen. If you read um, Acts 17 verse 26, it says that all men came from the one man, Adam, and God before time, decided and allocated times and seasons for each of us to be born into certain regions and families. Our spirits were ready. Our spirits are outside of time. And then they are placed here for a time and a season. All right? Okay. Bodies were made, the, the bodies that they had, the man and the woman had, they could become one flesh by being intimate. But their spirit beings were intimate with God. Note that the moment that they sinned, they knew they were naked. Another way of saying that, they were suddenly aware of their bodies. They were suddenly aware of their bodies. Why did that happen? I believe it's because just before that moment, they were 100% operating from their spirit beings. 
And they were so in tune with God. But the moment they disobeyed, their spirit was separated from God's spirit. And suddenly everything changed. Their spirits, which bear the image and likeness of God, were separated from God and it had consequences. Intimacy became enmity. That's how the Bible describes it. There's enmity between man and God because of sin. And as we can see in Romans, it affected every, every human after that, including us, all of us here today. The spirit of man, which bears the image and likeness of God, is compromised, marred, tarnished. The lie that God was holding out on us, that we could know more and be more like God, the same lie that caused the devil to be chucked out of heaven in the first place, had now corrupted the one God-like, perfect spirit of man. One lie. One sin. The creator of everything is also the one who legislates how everything should works should work. He is the executive who makes sure his laws are upheld, and he's the judiciary that decides what happens to those who contravenes his ways. He is also the one who can fix this mess. No one's excited about that. He can fix it. He put it in place and he can fix it. He has a plan. A magnificent, cosmic, mind-blowing, I never would have thought of that plan that demonstrates how much he loves mankind and values the relationship he meant for us to have with him in line with his original design. Over the following centuries, he communicates with mankind and has different ways in which different dispensations can have atonement with him. We do things that we do see that things get rather bad shortly after Adam and Eve, which caused the whole flood. God actually uses the word repent. He says, I repent from making man. Because that's how bad the sin on earth was. But he found what? One righteous man to save mankind. Then he found another righteous man in Abram who he made the father of his precious people, the Israelites, and changed his name to Abraham because he would be the father of many nations, which, if we read the New Testament, includes the Gentiles. Because Paul teaches that through Christ, we are of the seed of Abraham. All right? So when he was looking at the stars and the sand, he was not just seeing the Jewish people. He was seeing the people of the earth that would come to Christ. I believe that. Abraham was counted as righteous by his faith. There was no law written yet. This was pre-law. There was no circumcision yet. He was told to circumcise after God made a covenant with him. Amen. Later on, we read of another dispensation where God would save his precious people from slavery and oppression out of Egypt through one man, Moses. After saving them, God gave Moses and his people his written law for the first time. By this law, they would now know exactly what sin is. The law revealed what sin is, made it clear. And the law would hold them accountable. And from the book of Romans, we can see that this law applied to all, whether you knew it as a Jew or didn't as a Gentile. The law still applied. 
These commandments coincided with the making of the temple and the Ark of the Covenant, which became signs of God's presence with His people in a place where they could bring different kinds of offerings to atone for ongoing sin, since they were still under the curse of the original sin. And once a year, a priest would have to go into the holiest of holies in the temple and sacrifice a spotless lamb for the sins of the people every year, over and over again, because there would be sin again. It was always necessary because there was always sin and one sacrifice was never enough. A stubborn, stiff-necked people, murmuring through the desert, despite countless miracles and signs and wonders, demonstrating God's awesome power and love for them, took 40 years to make an 11-day journey from Egypt to the promised land. Moses misses out on going into the promised land himself because he was disobedient. God then calls Joshua, another righteous man, one who was discipled by Moses and who we know from scriptures many times stayed in the tent of meeting in the presence of God after Moses had left. And God calls him to lead his people into the promised land. He is told to be strong and courageous and to meditate on God's word, his laws day and night so that he can be successful and find favor with God and man. Joshua's journey is one of the few stories that ends well. He ends as an old man telling his people how to live and what to do. And it lasts for one generation. And then we get into the book of Judges and it gets bad. And we read this line a few times in the book of Judges. There was no king at that time and every man did what was right in his own eyes. And this leads to a truly dysfunctional time of Israel. One moment they would worship God because they were in trouble. Then the trouble would subside because God would hear their cries. Then they would just go slowly back compromising into sin. And then cry again. God would send the Midianites, the Philistines, to make them realize what they're doing. And then they would cry out to God. He would save them over and over and over again. Then we enter the era of kings. Something the people asked for by the way of God told them through Samuel is a really bad idea. The people said to Samuel, we want a king. Samuel said, that's not a good idea. They said, we really want a king. He goes to God. He says, Lord, they want a king. He says, that's not a good idea. The king will tax them, take the animals and take their land. Samuel went to the people. Hey, you don't want a king. A king will tax you, take your animals and take your land. They're like, we want a king. So he went back to God. He said, they want a king. He's like, okay, let's give them a king. And from there on, it is a mess. One bad king after the other. Every now and again, one little moment of you know, light of one king that says, and this king did things after God's heart. And then almost all of the time, those kings that were good kings following God, they would tell the prophets, bring the scriptures, bring the scrolls, read it out loud. And the moment the people heard the word of God that they've neglected, that they've put aside, they were cut to the heart and they would run back to God and get rid of all the things they were worshiping. But then slowly but surely, compromise, compromise, or a bad king comes into rule and they bring everything back. On and on and on. Kings, chronicles, all the prophets. It's crazy. They are idol worshiping. They've got pagan rituals. There's violence, sexual immorality, and debauchery. Every now and again, we see a glimmer, but for the most part, it's not good. Eventually, they're taken into captivity in Babylon, which was prophesied and they ignored. And then the temple in Jerusalem was destroyed. After 70 years in captivity, the prophesied King Cyrus starts sending them back and the rebuilding starts. Many more prophets came. And then 
silence. After the last prophet of the Old Testament, silence from God to his people. 400 years of silence. There's still a promise of a coming Messiah, but no more prophecies, no more prophets. There's still a promise of the one who will come and serve and set things right. But when will he come? Suddenly, after 400 years of no prophets, there's a voice in the wilderness. Matthew 3 verse 1. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he who has spoken of by the prophet Isaiah, saying, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. Some refer to John the Baptist as the last Old Testament prophet because he was chosen to usher in to announce the New Testament, the New Covenant. Now, the servant of the Lord, the elect one, is here. He's the ultimate righteous one. He has no sin, yet tempted in all ways, but no sin. He is fully man while fully God. He is baptized by John, led into the wilderness to be tempted. He's led into the wilderness by the Holy Spirit to be tempted by the devil. He beats the devil at his own game by saying, it is written. Quoting scriptures in every attack the enemy throws his way. Then his ministry starts with the same words that John the Baptist used. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. You remember this. He gathers disciples to be fishers of men with the main focus being the Jewish people. He went to the Jew first. But as we keep reading the best news ever, the good news, we see that Jesus was born in human form for a purpose much bigger and much different from what the Jews were expecting. They wanted justice in the form of being rescued from Roman oppression. They were hoping for a military solution to what they thought was a governmental problem. A mighty king on a chariot with a big army that would chase the Romans away, fix all their problems. Instead, they got a carpenter's boy from Nazareth who rode into Jerusalem on a donkey. But if you keep reading Isaiah and other prophets, you realize that they made some big assumptions because everything Jesus did was prophesied and fulfilled. It's when you read what you want to read that you miss it. We read in Romans, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. This is true for Jew and Gentile. That means all people need to be made right with God. The consequences of the offense of Adam runs through the blood of all people. The salvation of all people runs through the veins of the servant of God, Jesus Christ. During Jesus' earthly ministry, he focused on the Jews, but after his death, burial, and resurrection, and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, the first sermon by Peter and how Gentiles were thereafter baptized in the Holy Spirit, just by hearing the best news ever, the prophecy was fulfilled that he also came for the Gentiles. And that's you and I. Come on, let's give God the glory. 
The best news ever today is that the servant of the Most High God was prophesied over 2,700 years ago that he would suffer and die, that by his precious blood, Jew and Gentile will be justified, made righteous, be brought back into an intimate relationship with God, the Father, and have our spirits restored into its original design. For our spirits to be regenerated, which is salvation. (laughs) Jesus came to serve justice, and justice has been served. The just penalty we all deserve through sin has been paid on our behalf. He was the ransom. And through the blood of the servant king, we are washed clean, made new, restored, redeemed, and reconciled with our creator God. This promise is available to all of us, but not accepted by all of us. In John 1, Jesus makes it very clear. Whoever receives me will earn the right to be called children of God. And he goes on to explain you need to be born again to enter the kingdom of God and to see the kingdom of God, which is at hand, available now. (laughs) When we receive Jesus and believe in his name, this justification applies to us and we are able by his spirit to live the lives we were meant to live according to to our original design, with our image and likeness that is similar to God, that looks like God being fully restored inside of us. The lies being done away with and the truth saturating all of who we are so that we can stand before God boldly coming before His throne that because by His grace through our faith we have been made right with Him because Jesus served justice amen god bless you we love you have a wonderful sunday amen amen bye-bye thank you so much for listening to the love key church podcast message of the week I trust that you had a life-changing encounter with God that will help you to align with His purposes so that you can be one step closer to reigning in life. And may you be inspired to share this with others. Have a great week and remember to listen again next week or you can catch us live online or come visit us in person. May God bless you and keep you. Make His face shine upon you and be gracious to you and your loved ones. God bless you. Bye-bye.